and welcome to the next episode of Meanwhile in an Abandoned Warehouse. I'm Sophie Hope and I'm here with Sally Laburn and we're sat in my house in Waltham Forest on a sunny Monday afternoon. Um, we are here to talk about a number of things, particularly um, Sally's current projects and work that she's thinking about in relation to the drawing shed and um, we're also experiencing London Borough, um, Borough of Culture, Waltham Forest, the borough we live in, is the current London Borough of Culture. And so we'll be thinking about what that means in relation to cultural democracy. Um, so Sally, do you want to say a bit about yourself and your current project and thinking? And um, also, like, how on earth, you, what do you make of this term, cultural democracy? That's a lot of questions in one. Maybe starting off with who you are. <laughs> that is a lot of questions all in one. We'll get to it. Oh, I? We'll get through it. I think I'm already I'm already on the end of about ten threads there, trying to pull them all towards me. Okay, well I'm I'm Sally Laverne and I'm an artist who lives in the borough of culture. I feel like we are in the middle of the borough of culture in the sort of sense that it's something that's um, that we're engage with and trying to be really active in but is sort of as well at the same time being done to us mm. and it's quite hard to sort of find uh, a place where you sit in that uh, just as a resident never mind as an artist actually mm. or, or as an organizer and my practice takes me across all of those things so I've been running the drawing shed now as a as an artist-led project on two housing estates in Waltham Forest in E17 for 10 years this is the 10th year and um, it's also the year of the centenary of social housing and it's also the centenary of the forestry commission and somehow those things are really important because you know I haven't heard anything about the centenary of social housing within um, the thinking of the borough of culture Um, and I haven't heard anything about the forestry commission and and within the fact that we're just completely steeped in climate crisis um, news from all over the world all the time at the moment those things sort of sit with me and feel a bit kind of well hang on how does this all all work we've sort of got this year of sort of spectacle um, and yet we've got urgent stuff around social housing and the lack of decent housing and urgent stuff around climate crisis. Mm. Um, yeah, and I was talking to someone the other day, we're about to lose the whole of the ash, which is an indigenous tree species uh, that used to cover the whole country and now is um, under attack. So there's all those sorts of things that stick in my mind. Um on the two estates where I work and I feel like it is it, it's it's like a place of work really for me and I've been getting to know people even though we're always talking about communities in Waltham Forest being very transitory and moving around a lot actually there are people who stay and lots of people in social housing stay because it's almost impossible to get moved and um, and also people in social housing have the same lives as everybody else you know they're all working studying bringing up families um 
living lives in lots of different ways, living on their own, living with friends. Um, yeah. And over the past year, uh, I've been really busy managing the whole process of creating a small space in the community garden that is led by volunteers who are residents all around the garden. Um, and we call it Trio because it's like in three parts. Um, it has a pavilion structure, like a storage space at the back, which is lit up, can be lit up at night, uh, multicolours, LED. Uh, it makes it a beacon. Uh, it's really beautiful. And, and also these performance platform segments if you like that can be joined up in lots of different ways for performance to happen in the garden and they also double up as storage and places for kids to play on and and, um, artists to perform on and people to sit on Mm. and that is a community and a cultural space and I always talk about it in that way just as when people come into the garden and we're doing gardening, I always say to everybody, it's our um, responsibility to welcome any stranger coming into the garden, which is actually quite hard for some people to do, but actually everybody does it now. And thinking about how culture changes and how people own culture, um, if you do that, as we know when we're bringing up kids, you know, we all do that as a group in the garden so it's like a it's like a thing that we all know we have to do because we know that in order to grow uh, the use of the garden which is an ungated space and, and, and find ways of using the trio as a cultural space that people feel connected to themselves that that's what we have to do it's like a kind of unwritten uh, kind of ethos that the community have uh, that, that I'm in and out of Do you think it needs you to continue? Will it continue without you? Well, it's a, over the years the drawing shed has tried lots of different methods of doing things and there's a funny kind of thing about if you're planting spinach seeds with people and you're just doing those day-to-day things then actually you're just a human being alongside everybody else and people see you in a different kind of a way. Um, well, that sounds a bit that sounds a bit weird. I don't mean it in that way. I mean that when I might turn around and say, uh, as Bobby Lloyd and I did last year, let's do a project on daydreaming, people don't think of it as a weird thing. They go, yeah, OK, we'll, we'll do that. When we talk about... You know, what happens to your mind when you're walking and what happens to your mind when you're walking in green spaces and what happens to your mind when you're digging or what happens to your mind on the top deck of a bus or does being a woman impact the way that you can daydream? If you've experienced a trauma and have come to this place from a place where you're seeking some safety, what happens to your, to your mind and your imagination? Can you daydream if you're carrying around things that... Uh, maybe you need to process and do you need to process those things with other people and does that happen when you're working on a project like this 
does class make any difference to the way your imagination works? And how do people engage in that conversation around daydreaming? Like, practically, was it? Did you do workshops? We did workshops, we did walks with individuals around the estate. Um, We got invited into people's flats to record and have conversations. Um, We went on a day trip out of the city to a field that we found out about because one of the artisan bakers that were working with us on another project um, called um, Top by Bakers we were, we were training men, local men up as mentors with the support actually of a, uh, a psychologist to um, work with young boys and men we found out that one of these bakers had got a field where they were testing out growing different grains. I can hear a small person. <laughs> go, go. <laughs> oh. And when we found out about this field, we immediately thought, hey, we'll go on a day trip and we'll um, we'll learn about the micronizal um mycorrhizal network of fungi under the ground because when we heard about how trees communicate in their roots and all plants uh, we realised that there was huge metaphor there for how we communicate and how we build communities and what's, you know, how you um, you know, you give me something different than I give you but there is equity and uh, when we talk about cultural democracy mm equity is really important because it um, it shifts the conversation from a kind of artificial equality to actually truly listening and valuing the different things that people are bringing um, which is how I like to work mm-hmm. because it it completely changes the place of people in how a project develops and the ownership of that because people are involved in thinking together mm. I guess that's what I'm always interested in I'm interested in working with people so that individuals can have a space and a voice but also collectively people realise that there is this thing that happens to the imagination when it's shared when there's a dialogue but that it's not just about the dialogue that has to be for me has to be some transformation so art something made together Mm -hmm. in some way that is um, tangible and what was the what was that in the daydreaming project what was the tangible Um, in the tangible we called it invisible fields Um, we made several films including one of the digging of this enormous pile of compost like you've never seen. I mean, people arrived in that field thinking, what the hell? What are we doing here? And uh, there was a moment of shock <laughs> because there was, it was a cold day and it was a sort of empty barn and actually the, the people, the gardening people, the great team of two who had prepared for us to be there 
and, and been very kind and brought together loads of blankets and an old sofa and we all brought food with us to eat for the day so we we sort of had that great opportunity to collectively um, explore something together that we knew was going to lead into the making of a piece of work so we made a collaborative sound work from all of the voices from some of the interviews with individuals but also from that collective uh, discussion so it sort of had this sort of it felt like it it held a lot of breath (laughs) a kind of collective breathing Mm. uh, which was really important and then these moments where you just suddenly became really aware that people carrying a lot of stuff Um, and when that happens you have to be prepared to be there and you were talking before about this issue of or question and mark around responsibility in relation to cultural democracy can you say say a bit more about that what were your concerns or well there's always concerns I mean this new well the we have two spaces now, the drawing shed on the estates. We've got one which is a lock-up on the other side, on the drive. Uh, in fact, we've got two lock-ups. One that holds all the resources. We've got all these mobile structures. The drawing shed itself started as a mobile drawing studio. And it went all over the place with the idea that actually people don't come to, to you, you go to them. And you can work then with people, with them changing the... Um, way something begins and they can lead on it and you can respond and it actually makes for a more complex project rather than I'm coming in to do this it's actually we're coming in with this beginning and you're coming towards us and you're hosting us and so we're going to begin this conversation and we're not quite sure where it's going to go and um, so now this lock-up has windows, lighting, the capacity for heat. And having those windows, which is the last thing we've done, is really important because people can see in so that see out so that you, you feel much safer. And actually you feel you can cross a threshold. I'm obsessed with thresholds mm. because... Um, not just on housing estates, the thresholds everywhere. In a way, it's just a microcosm of life. But over the years, we've done loads of different projects that have challenged that idea of cultural democracy. So the estates themselves, for instance, are covered in signage that tells people off for one thing or another. Mm. Don't do this, don't do that. Um and we've done projects where we've involved different artists coming in and working with us like for instance one year we worked with Jacob Samuel Rose who's a brilliant writer and poet who worked with us to test out using Twitter which he'd never done as a space for writing and then we turned those Twitter poems um, into um, posters that we screen printed and put up all over the estate. So the signage was covered both sides, the whole of the two estates, Mm. which, believe me, takes about two days in all to cover them all. And 
it completely changes the emotional temperature and also the kind of voices because the voices are the people who are living on the estates who are creating these incredible um, poems and texts about their life and their dreams and their thoughts about about all sorts of things and for Jacob Samuel Rose there was the a small poem that he wrote like a kind of Japanese haiku really um, about how he felt about his identity at that moment in relation to his parents and those kind of projects that we work on and with the um trying to create those spaces for equity for different um a sort of slowing it sounds like a sort of slowing down of of um so we can think together we can discuss together and grow together and all the you know this this um is i ideal scenario like you know i'd love a, a life full of that but actually what are the conditions needed to to create those spaces and how do you fight because you're you're having to fight for that slowing down and those... Um, I have to fight for that slowing down and I absorb most of the economic fallout of that slowing down, um, which probably most people don't know. So it's not a, it's not a comfortable space. No. But what does it look like? I think what it looks like, and I actually try to do this consciously now because I, you know, I am also trying to think about the consequences of it and also the power of it and how it can really work and whether it's true because you can have ideas about doing something in a particular way but whether it's true yeah, yeah. or not about what other people are experiencing yeah is really important so if I'm developing a project now um, I try to work with other partners by that I mean other people who are doing things that, uh, you know like who value the commons mm. you know it's very important for me the commons because everything's so everything's owned mm-hmm. we're, we're living in a world that, where the speed of gentrification is so fast that you know you turn around and you realise that virtually there is nothing that isn't supposedly public that's public anymore so those things I've been preoccupied with for a very long time probably all of my life as an artist I've been preoccupied with those things. And that movement between working as an individual and in collaborations and in co-authored work, which I test out all the time. So what it looks like is, I think now, I'm not going to even start a project with anybody, even if I think, oh, they might have the same sort of values and um, I'll get people who live on the estate to think with me about it. So they will come to any meeting that starts so that there's no starting point that has been decided and so it sort of tumbles along and stuff starts to come out but then on the other hand there's a theatre company um, young theatre company who um, are doing some really interesting work that I saw do a crazy thing at Tate one night and um, I discovered that one of them was moving to Walthamstow and they are now going to be doing a two-week residency using the building because also people love the theatre stuff. They love the performative. And we don't have any money, so 
and that's equitable as well because they need space and this piece of work they're doing is a, is to be done in a garden it's not to be done inside so to be able to use the trio space and also for local people there because the housing is on three sides four sides actually if you count the road they are just as much a part of that community as the social housing um and some of that might be privately rented, I don't know, completely, but everybody can see it going on. Mm. And there is something about um, the fact that everybody can see it going on, even if they don't come to it. Mm. It makes it something that is in the commons. So there is a, a, there is an experience of something as it's unfolding. And I've been doing some evaluation around this, for another grant that I got um, and everybody was saying the same thing which I thought was really interesting because they had thought about it and I think the fact that people are thinking about it independently of me they're involved with the garden but they're saying the garden never gets vandalised now we've got seating in the garden which is really important just, it's just second hand seating I spent days running around off eBay getting you know old deck chairs and an old chaise long wire thing and, and, and people love it because they can relax in the garden but also they watch other people do that mm. just quietly it's not like people are spending hours looking but they can feel comfortable because they know that other people are doing the same thing and it, ca- it creates this kind of uh, porous space mm. between the public and the private because obviously it's a big garden so what's going on yeah. in the garden is still private people are just getting on and you know they have spontaneous meals there or um, a lot of people who are involved in the garden say that the best thing about the garden um, although they love coming together is just being alone in the garden mm. or they're having a place where they can think and so there's this ebb and flow between doing things and um, one of the first cultural things we did there was to light up the whole of um, the trio with red and pink light back and front three nights only just for a couple of hours each night Um, and we had a young artist who had helped us cook a dinner Um, so it was like payback she helped us cook a dinner uh, for local people and funders and members of the drawing shed board um, to come together and have a dinner because she did that and it took 12 hours of work we did a swap and I said well there's nothing happening because it's winter at the moment and um, do you want to come in and show a piece of work and she'd done this big fortune fish in cellophane, pink cellophane. And so we hung it together across the space and she did this thing, it's the little fortune fish you get in crackers yeah. and, and, and from joke shops and it curls up in your hand from the moisture. And we actually did, then found ourselves doing a really important piece of work where people, lots of people, 250 people came. We sent cards into invita- invitations into every home and um, people came. And there was this kind of odd thing where we had this community conversation around the idea that someone comes with no idea who they are to do a fortune t- 
telling of this fish, which is a bonkers idea. And we all know that it's a bonkers idea. But actually, there is something really wonderful about, you know, handing over. Because we have so much responsibility, talking of responsibility, we have so much responsibility. But just in a split moment, to hand that over to somebody who can just tell you a story. And maybe it's not about them taking responsibility. Maybe it's about, you know, it triggers your imagination to think about your life differently. So I'm on the outside of this while the artist is, young artist, Rebecca uh, Thompson is inside. And I'm having that big conversation around why is it that we, like, hand over all of our agency to to anybody who we can. Because (laughs) life can be quite tough. Mm. And, um... And how ridiculous that whole idea is. People say, that's ridiculous, why are we doing it, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, they go in and you watch them and they abandon all of that. (laughs) And there's this moment of connection between this young woman they've never met um, and this thing that they're, obviously, that no-one knows about, that they're hopeful for. And in the exchange, somehow, this hopeful thing becomes... Well, it isn't a therapy space, definitely not, because um, she's so tongue-in-cheek, but there is something about um, this hopeful, imaginative space that people come out transformed. Mm. And, of course, the the trio is a a space that lights up and is see-through, it's transparent. Um, So it has that capacity to as you come in and there's a sort of way of walking into this space that gives um, a good feeling for something to change Mm. and I'm not suggesting that all the work that is done can do that can do that and and even wants to do that because some things are really difficult and within the invisible fields there's a lot of difficult things there's a film that's been made on the site of a boy who was murdered who was stabbed um, in the very first year that we arrived there and I go back to revisiting that um, every now and again because it hasn't gone away but this time was to mark his life and he was a young artist so to mark his life um, in a way where we were playing with die cast toys that were probably made up the road in Walthamstow Many years ago, they were dumped outside the lockup on the dumping site that's there, so we work with stuff that mm. gets left. And there was something really important about making this um, film about this imaginative space and as artists moving and pushing these mm. uh, toys about uh, in a very... run-down part of the estate that hasn't been redeveloped. It's been boarded up because some of it has been sold off uh, to individuals on the right to buy the pramsheds. So they can't develop it. But then on the other hand, nothing's happening with it. So there is a constant conversation with people who live there about this derelict. Uh, They don't have any romantic attachment to it. Um, it's the it's the space where people still hang their clothes, they're washing. 
but there are homeless people who from time to time will seek shelter in those spaces. There's a lot of complexity, actually, to the work. It's not all about hopeful spaces. It's, it's also about uncovering and unpicking some of the politics of gentrification that is going on so those conversations can be had more openly but with each other rather than just as individuals or as someone who lives in a flat looking across and seeing this dereliction Mm -hmm. and feeling that this has just been abandoned. And something else you mentioned earlier was this idea of acting upon. Does Does that relate to this? Oh, um, actually, I hadn't thought about that um, in relation to that. Of course, it is an acting upon. It is definitely an acting upon, and I, I do do these things um, as an individual alongside this social practice, and you know, maybe that is connecting up to you know my internal need for my own imagination and. Yeah. A, a trust and always facilitating other spaces for other people to yeah. do that. Yeah. So yes, I mean, the drawing shed was over in Wanstead. Uh, sorry, not Wandsworth. Not Wandsworth. Definitely not Wandsworth. Wandsworth in Nine Elms, across from you know where they are transforming the now sold-off Battersea Power Station, which is a travesty in itself. That it's now privately owned. Um, ironically it probably always was privately owned mm. since it was a power station mm. I'm not quite sure whenever it sat in the public realm yeah. but the fact that it was there and it felt like it belonged to all of us was really important and we have a very, it's an icon we have a very particular relationship with it so to know it's being sold off to the richest people in the world to be turned into flats and that in order to get more flats in there and stabilise it, they're taking down the towers to rebuild them. It's really stuck in people's minds. Anyway, we were working on the uh, three estates that are conjoined but landlocked. There's only one way in and one way out because of the railway line and the market, Covent Garden Market is there. Not in Covent Garden, but there. And... Um, we worked there, oh, probably for around a year, doing a project, um, a really interesting project, looking at imaginative play and street play and how that's transformed over the years and also how those imaginative experiences as children change the way we grow up, so why they're important and how they've changed. Mm-hmm. Very, They're very different now. Play is very different now. And... So we worked on an intergenerational project on quite a critical level, both with young people and with older people who had that kind of conversation together and created, through the structure of go-karting, this critical conversation, including John, who was in his 80s, who who made one on his kitchen table. And um, on that project, I... I felt very strongly about wanting to act upon this space, this political space, this gentrified and gentrifying community where everybody was talking about creating a cultural 
policy. But they weren't talking about these people, these four and a half thousand odd people who were all just ordinary people getting on with their lives that represent, you know, the extraordinary um, cross-cultural, intergenerational community of London, you know, that ebbs and flows every day. And, yeah, so I, I, on several occasions, on my own, um, filmed by other artists, actually, who would understand the craziness of this, I would go in and do particular works. So inside one of the estates, I blindfolded myself. It was built on a circular level, and I noticed that these sort of points of resonance that, that kind of caught your voice and amplified it in a really... Mm bizarre and wonderful way so I roam around with a microphone blindfolded <laughs> blindfolded <laughs> trying to find these places um, which was a, 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 an odd thing to do but a really wonderful thing to do and it, and it felt like you know I was looking for these really special hidden things that you know, nobody was rebuilding Battersea Power Station at the same time building the American Embassy with its lockdown security would, would be sensitive to. It's only the sort of thing that you would be sensitive to if you were spending time in a place with with people and just feeling a moment there. And also I, uh, I did a... a a project during an election where I took in some big ladders that we'd managed to get from the probation service that got probation service written up the side, big old wooden ones must have been very old actually, 1970s or something and um, in the middle of this estate I went up onto the top and I blew up these blue and red clear vinyl boxing gloves um, which is the film that you saw and I did a, a kind of um absurdist performative thing for as long as I could have the energy for where I beat myself you know throwing my head from one side to the other um, backwards and forwards and I didn't on top of the ladders on top of the ladders um, so you know you can see the sky and you see the hair sort of moving around and it looks very violent and it is a metaphor for violence of course it is a metaphor for violence but it wasn't it didn't hurt mm -hmm it is a metaphor for violence and um, you know, when people see that work um, it affects them in different ways for some um, it seems as if it's a, an act of self-violation but actually um, staying with the, 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 the real discomfort of that um, metaphor of self-violation um, if you stay with it long enough it translates into the realisation that this is actually about society's violation of us as individuals and, and, and as a community. There's a, there's, a lot, there's a lot going on. After that, I built a Jenga um, Battersea Power Station, painted it in gold and set fire to it um, under a mirror ball and, and filmed it which became part of a very large image we created for a, a series of zines that could also become a huge poster, which has yet to be 
um, used in another way on the streets. And maybe as a before we end the podcast, um, I just had a question as well in relation to to both these um, experiments on in acting upon place um, and the slow, thoughtful, and well, not thoughtful, awful, oh, thoughtful, um, but um, the the approach the drawing shed is taking as well. And the, what about like this question around permission? Because I think that's yes. something we talked about a while ago as well. Was around, um, I don't know, something I find quite important is the uh, is ideas around acting without permission, and obviously that has um, complications and ethics around it as well. But what do you make of that? How do you relate to, to permission in your work? The different sort of projects you've talked about. I'm pausing because it is such a complex Mm. thing. Um, I was just talking about this with artist Bobby Lloyd the other day, he's no longer working with the drawing shed now, about uh, this piece of teaching that we do with a group of artists who are also training as therapists, so there's a crossover point where they also have to think about permission and keeping a space safe, but Mm. not taking over and controlling things that are going on in a room or a space it's not always happening in a room Um, and we do this thing where we give them permission so we send them out to break thresholds and to build boundaries and to involve people in breaking the boundary for a whole day and it's work that they would never normally do and we have no right to give them permission but because we give them permission they assume a permission has been given and they therefore play with those things in a completely different way and actually do things that I would never normally myself be brave enough to do um, but which are really inspiring and, and, and really important in a world where everything is controlled and all public space is on lockdown basically by somebody those things are really important now that's a kind of very in a way it feels as if it's a sort of literal thinking about permission but actually it it sort of isn't because those difficult things around permission are constantly going on even in relation to institutions never mind public spaces and there is something about the fact that the drawing shed has been there for so long and even though I don't actually really truly believe in embedded practice or of thinking about place in a way that's static because everyone has a different relationship with a place there is something about trying to get into a place where we all give each other permission Mm. that's how I feel there's a strength in the way that the drawing shed works so it's not about me giving you permission it's actually about us giving each other permission. So even on that thing where the um, students, in inverted commas, who are all like proper artists in their own right, go off, they go off in pairs um, to help each other have permission. Mm-hmm. So they're not allowed to go off and stop each other doing things. They've got to try and enable each other. And I think that's really interesting. And, 
Yeah, so I, I think that giving of permission. Mm-hmm. So there is some work that just does not really benefit from applying for funding and asking for permission because you wouldn't get permission. You might as well do it anyway. You might as well do it anyway. And also when you look at, um, well, today we've got Greenpeace um, outside the office of BP, I believe, and they have brought in these huge drums which are almost impossible to move which they are connected to. Um, I mean, who who inspires who in a, in collective um, rethinking of what is possible and that another world is possible and another way of thinking is possible mm-hmm. and responsibility and accountability. You know, who comes first and who hands down over ideas that then get reshaped? I think in a way... Is a circular thing, mm-hmm. so it's not really about who comes before or who's coming after. It's about that generosity. It's a generosity of a, of a collective imagination. Mm-hmm. So I feel I'm part of that, and the acting uponds I think are about adding to that body of work, where, as individuals and collectively, we we are working together mm-hmm. to. For something to shift, to shift something, to make space for us, yeah. human, generous beings, and a world that needs looking after. Yeah. I think Henry's agreeing with you. Though. I think Henry is agreeing. <laughs> Henry's definitely on. The... Are you agreeing, Henry? This yeah. is, we're handing the batons. I know. There's so many of them, but there's a lot of you. And you've got a lot to teach us, haven't you? Yes. Yes. I mean. Um, <laughs> sort of public shift that's come from um, Extinction Rebellion Mm. you know where people get a bit confused all the way through about well god we've taken over the whole street we can't get to work, we can't get home, we can't do this, we can't do that but actually it has made us all think about things in a different way and suddenly um, you begin to identify yourself as part of what needs to change Mm. and we need to change and we need to do something those, um, the, 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 the permissions um, discussion for me also really relates to your fascination, obsession with thresholds and the, the way that our, um, where, how do we get into a situation where we feel we can give each other permission is also a question of to where am I, how do I, identi- how do I identify my thresholds, your thresholds, where are meeting points might be that's how, and that all that does take time and that maybe maybe there are like these sort of extinction rebellion-esque um, and and the way that the, 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 the trio space is used performatively which are little kind of visible interruptions into thresholds that make them these thresholds more visible so we're like oh, okay okay there's my threshold and there's my limit in terms of what I am able to give myself permission for or somebody else permission for. Yeah, I think it's true. It's a really small act. Kind of, yeah. Um, it makes it all more richly complicated. And, you know, it makes way, it richly complicated and it also points the fingers in, in, yeah. uh, in a way that's not literal necessarily, but um, about power. Yeah. Absolutely, that's everywhere, isn't it? It's power, it's like... Oh, hey, hey. Okay. Oh. Oh. 
Oh, we've reached your limit, Henry. I need a piece of attention. This is the real world yes. here. Come on, back to it. Um, yes, it is. It's a. It opens up for those really complicated political discussions <laughs> about the things that really matter to people's lives. And also how they have no control over these things, that if they had control they would. But then, of course, you know, you, you, you end up having really interesting conversations with people about what would they really want to happen there. Hmm. And, um, and then, well, who would do that? And if you wanted this, then how would that be run? And the question of actually who controls the way that we live becomes really apparent mm. in, in, in everything. And um, I was talking with somebody yesterday about the garden, it being ungated. It's unlike a lot of gardens, which are usually mm. gated. And so who identifies who, who owns it? The sense of it is truly owned by people. It's looked after because it's overlooked in the sense that lots of people use it and there is a sort of gentle negotiation of how it gets used. Some people will come in and light the, the clay oven that we made together. It's about 150 people over two days who got involved in making that, which required taking off your shoes and stamping mud and clay and straw together and, and then creating a human chain to pass these clods of mm. stuff all the way across from one side of the garden to the other. There is something really, really poetic about mm. that. There's a lot of poetry in it, actually. and I'm, I'm not going to apologise for the poetry, because mm. the poetry needed. it. But yes, these thresholds and having those really serious conversations amongst everything else... There's something so empowering as well about doing things without permission mm. that um, open up a small window on also what is going on really and truly. Yeah, because we live in a world of Emperor's New Clothes mm. and, and most of the time the structure of the way that we live and the way that we are governed doesn't allow for even those things to be talked about even though they're there and everyone knows it yeah, yeah. there's open secrets well Sally maybe we should leave it there Henry's Henry's done the end of his podcast tether yes he's um, he's all podcasted he out he is um, so thank you so much and I'm oh, sure we will you. continue these conversations um, and uh, yeah we'll post information as well about the drawing shed on the website, yes. website so people can have a look at that. Maybe come along if they're in the borough. <laughs> yes, thank you, Henry. Thank you. Thanks very much.